Good morning. Some of you aren't here yet. Good morning. Amen. Thanks be to God. As reflected in our litany this morning, we recognize that Mother's Day is a complicated day for a variety of experiences and reasons. I also recognize that some of you are here today because you've come to worship with your mothers, and I say welcome to you. Or perhaps your mothers come to worship with you. We welcome you. But whatever this day brings for you, the complications of life that surround your own experience reflect for me the complexity of life, not only on this day, but really on every day that we pass through. We anointed this morning Pastor Darwin at the altar here. He leaves tomorrow night to go to Hong Kong to be with his sister who has terminal cancer. He's going to be gone a month because he's got to go to Hong Kong. He's got to quarantine for a certain period of time. By the time he gets back, I think he told us the other day, he will have endured 11, 12, 13 COVID tests. And who knows what will happen in Hong Kong while he's there. He may liberate the place. <laughs> Part of my prayer over him this morning was that he'd come home in 30 days, that they don't lock down Hong Kong again. It's been a journey for us as we've talked about the possibility for him to go because Hong Kong has been so complicated and closed and flights are few. And then today we also say farewell to Pastor Ali and Joel. And like Pastor Brad, I'm in denial. But this life has a lot of complexity to it. And so on this day, in recognition of all the complexity of life, we come this morning to the book of Proverbs. I invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Since the beginning of our sermon series, The Story, which began back in January, we've been following the story of God throughout the Old Testament. And up until we came last Sunday to the Psalms, the focus on the Old Testament has been on God's activities, and now we move from the activity of God and the response of the people in doing right and wrong now to an opportunity for us to think about how is it that we should think about life? As Pastor Brad preached last Sunday from Psalms 13 about lament, that opportunity to give expression to that which concerns us and the angst and frustration of life and how God receives that voice of lament from us not afraid of our voice of lament, but receives it, hears from us, hears us. And so this morning as we come to the book of Proverbs, 
the wisdom books, Proverbs, and Job and Ecclesiastes summon us to think wisely and well. Anyone here ever in need of wisdom? Anyone want to testify about the last time you prayed for wisdom? Mine was this morning. It seems as if it's the most frequent prayer I pray these days. Not just for myself, but for us, for you. May God give you wisdom because in this day of complexity and polarized existence, we often lead with our perspectives and our opinions. Perhaps the prayer of wisdom is the beginning of something new for us, the beginning of hope. And so it is this morning we come to the rich collection of Proverbs gathered by King Solomon, whose request you may remember when he was anointed king, his request of God was that God would give him wisdom to know how to lead Israel. And I would just note as a footnote in this sermon this morning that it is one thing to collect wisdom, it's another thing to live wisely. Because as you follow the story of Solomon's life, he collected wisdom, but didn't always lead wisely or live wisely. For his story does not end as well as it had begun with the promise of wisdom from God. This marvelous book is comprised of four sections. Chapters one through nine serve as an introduction to the value of wisdom. Chapters 10 through 29 contain hundreds of ancient Proverbs Chapter 30 reflects the words of Agur, who is a model reader of, wisdom, of Proverbs, and chapter 31, written by Lemuel, describing a woman of wisdom. The entire book is an invitation from God to learn wisdom from previous generations. So when Proverbs speaks of wisdom, it is speaking of the right and effective application of accumulated knowledge and experience. The right and effective application of accumulated knowledge and experience. The right and effective application of accumulated knowledge and experience. One wag defined wisdom this way, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. I think I just confused some of you. Let's read together. Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven, that offers a promising window into the nature and application of biblical wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse seven takes us right to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? 
The full value of wisdom is not found only in the pithy short statements that follow in the next 30 chapters. The full value of wisdom is rooted in right relationship with the Lord. If we embrace our earlier definition of wisdom as the right and effective application of accumulated knowledge and experience, then what does the fear of the Lord have to do with anything? The second half of verse 7 informs our understanding of the first half. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, understanding and applying wisdom begins with a right perspective of God coupled with a willingness to receive instruction from the Lord. Now, the challenge of preaching, Pastor Brad, Pastor Darwin, and other preachers who are in the room will echo this. If they don't, we'll meet afterwards. The challenge of preaching is that you listen to your own sermon the entire time you're working with it, and it is speaking to you first. And as I have leaned into these verses, as I have leaned into this opportunity for this morning, four propositions about what it means to fear the Lord have come to me for my benefit, and I share them out of my own life with you that perhaps they might benefit you as well. Proposition number one, fearing the Lord is an act of faithfulness. In other words, verse seven is a call to faithfully fear the Lord. The word faithful implies consistent loyalty and being true to one's commitments. To faithfully fear the Lord is to consistently maintain our perspective of who God is and who we are in relationship to God. In the scripture, we find two expressions of faithfully fearing the Lord. The first one we find in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, where Isaiah was frightened in the presence of a holy God. You may remember chapter 6 of Isaiah, where Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God, and he says, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he goes on to declare that he is a dead man. There is an appropriate time and place to be frightened in the presence of God. Have you ever had a moment in God's presence where you were so profoundly moved, you were left speechless, so aware of God's holiness, so aware of your own inadequacy in the presence of holy God, because in the presence of holy God, your life became known in a new way. There are moments in our lives when it is right to be frightened in the presence of a holy God. But verse 7 carries a different expression of fearing the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord that produces awe and wonder. One pastor expressed it this way, when I am awe before someone, I am afraid to offend or dishonor that person. If you fear the Lord, you won't be afraid of anything or anyone else. Fear of the Lord is the recognition that we have been provided free and costly grace. And when we understand the price that has been paid for our sin, the more reverence and awe we will exhibit when we seek and receive God's wisdom. 
Proposition number two. Fearing the Lord faithfully places me in a posture and spirit of humility. Humility is a confession that I do not possess all the knowledge and experience needed for life. Anyone this morning want to testify you have all the knowledge and experience and wisdom for life? I have not arrived at that place yet. And many of us have extended education, we have extended years, we have extended experience, and yet we still find ourselves in need of wisdom. It is a posture of humility that makes it possible for us to hear the word of the Lord. Without that sense of humility, there is unlikely to be a word from the Lord because we are not ready to receive what might be heard. We are not prepared to receive what God might say to us. And some of us are very assured of our positions. We're very assured of what we believe, of what we know, of what we think we know. And yet humility is the posture and spirit of one who fears the Lord faithfully. Humility is also a posture of trust and confidence in the wisdom of God. When God comes and speaks wisdom to us, do we trust it? Do we have confidence in it? Will we take it and apply it? Or will we take it and say, that's nice? For it is humility that makes it possible for us to receive new truth. I am a pastor who believes that God continues to reveal himself to us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16, is given to remind us, to teach us, to convict us, to judge us, to speak to us, to reveal to us God's truth. Humility makes it possible for me to relinquish my desire to control both the use of God's wisdom and the outcome of God's wisdom. I confess, I am a person who likes control. Anybody else want to confess with me? When I receive wisdom, I want to say, okay, this is the best way to apply it, this is the best use of it, this will be the best outcome. More testimonies yet? Humility allows me to say, here is God's wisdom for me, and I will trust God to use it in a way that is best for God's divine order, and I release control of how God will use it and apply it in my life. Faithfully fearing the Lord is a posture of humility that gives up control of the outcome, because God may want to shape you differently than you think God wants to shape you. Proposition number three, faithfully fearing the Lord is to willingly receive and embrace the corrective work of God's wisdom for my life. 
Throughout scripture, the holy presence of God has been described as a refining fire. The holy presence of God has been defined as a potter shaping the clay on the potter's wheel. The holy presence of God has been described as a breath of life, as a mighty rushing wind, as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you can think of other images as well throughout scripture. But what the scripture teaches us throughout scripture is that when God's presence comes, it changes us. We cannot be in the presence of God and not be different. And some of us are afraid to be in that presence because we're afraid to be different. We're afraid to be shaped. We're afraid to be refined. We're afraid of the mighty rushing wind that could sweep through our, sweep through our souls and our minds and our hearts and give new life to us because we want to hold on to the past or we want to hold on to what has happened because our bitterness and our anger has taken such deep residence in our spirit that we think that's the way life should be lived. Whenever I step into the pulpit to preach, I'm aware that probably in this room and probably wherever someone hears this message or any message we preach from this pulpit, nearly everyone in the sound of, within the sound of our voices has some place in their life where there is a reservoir of pain and woundedness. And may God come and bring hope and healing in that place. For it is in the faithful fear of the Lord that God seeks to make us whole, that God seeks to heal us, that God seeks to give us a life different than the life we believed we have had to live. Because God does not leave us in that place, but God takes us by God's wisdom to a place that's different than where we have lived. My reverence and awe of God also reflects my understanding that God cares enough about me to intervene in my life. When was the last time God intervened in your life? Can you remember? When was the last time the Holy Spirit of God came tapping on your shoulder or whispering in your ear and said, you know, friend, there's something in your heart, your attitude, the words you spoke, the decision you made, whatever it was, and the Holy Spirit revealed in the tender voice of God a moment of intervention I say thanks be to God who loves me enough to intervene. Who loves me enough to continue to seek to refine me. Who loves me enough to see that my life can be different than it has been because God comes and speaks truth. And to faithfully fear the Lord is to say, 
I will receive the truth of God willingly and openly and hopefully because God loves me. When we faithfully fear the Lord, we are asking God to reveal truth to us, truth about ourselves, truth about God's perspective, and truth about how God seeks to apply biblical truth to our life. It is a humble act to say, oh God, what is your perspective? How would you have me to think about this today? How would you have me think about this relationship? How would you have me think about this event at work? How would you have me think about fill in the blank? And then wait. Some of my most precious devotional times have been when I have simply waited in silence. There are plenty of books for us to buy and read. There's plenty of scripture to read, but sometimes just to sit and wait and wait and wait. Anybody have a problem with waiting? I hate waiting. I hate waiting in line with a passion. I want to be moving, constantly moving forward. I see some of you, you and I are brothers and sisters, right? But in the stillness and the quiet, the voice of God comes. And in the whisper, speaks truth. If there was something I would wish for us today, it was that we would learn to be comfortable in the stillness and in the silence of waiting. To stop. To wait. To wait until we hear. Proposition number four. Faithfully fearing the Lord makes it possible for us to embrace the hope of God that is fully resident in biblical wisdom. The book of Proverbs is an open door into the world of divine wisdom that makes it possible for us to live in the world in ways that reflect the presence of God in our lives for the purpose of God's kingdom on earth. This may be a revelation to some of us this morning that God has a larger purpose for this world than whatever we think our purpose is. I'm incredibly surprised nobody said amen to that. I had to pull it out of you. But is that true? That God has a purpose for this world larger than my own perceived purpose? Thank God for that. Faithfully fearing the Lord makes it possible for us to have the opportunity to be on the same page with God as God works in this world and we can be participants in that in a way God hopes that we would participate. We pray that prayer every Sunday morning, the Lord's Prayer. And we pray on earth as it is in heaven. And I sometimes wonder, 
how it is that we can live that out? Well, it begins with faithfully fearing the Lord. That we could be part of what God seeks to do on earth as it is in heaven. The wisdom in Proverbs is a promise that the wisdom of God is revealed in this day, in this season, to those who faithfully fear the Lord. Isaiah 33, verse 6 assures us, He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Everything that follows in the book of Proverbs, as rich as it is, is only as valuable to us as is our fear of the Lord. Without that, it's just human wisdom. With the fear of the Lord, it gets elevated to divine wisdom. And it allows us to speak of life in a different way. The worship team this morning is going to sing for us or sing with us, I speak Jesus. As you listen or as you sing, let the words of this wash over you and let it be your prayer. And let your prayer begin in the faithful fear of the Lord.
invite Pastor Allie and Joel to come kneel here. I think it's a good thing that we pray over them and we send them. I think that's a good thing. But the only reason I think it's may not be a good thing is because I don't want to let them go. We love you. I hope you know that. Don't cry. Because <laughs> if you cry, I'll cry. This woman has been a wonderful colleague to me. Her husband Joel has been a gift to me as well. For they have been present through so much and been faithful through so much. They deserve our appreciation, our thanks. They deserve to go with our blessing and our prayers. As God has called them to a new place, and we will go with them. In their hearts, in their minds, in their memories, and in the confidence that we will continue to remember them in our prayers. So would you kneel here? And I would invite those of you who want to come to gather around, to lay hands on them, and we will pray over them.
We'll wait. In this ancient tradition of laying on of hands, you can put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you to be connected to these wonderful people. Gracious and loving God, you have made provision for each day of our lives. And there are some days in which you give to us gifts of people who bring to us the gift of their lives, whose gifts are so great and wondrous that we sit and say, thanks be to God for the gifts you've given to these people. And so it is on this day we give thanks for the gifts that Allie and Joel have been blessed with and have given to us and shared with us so freely. And oh God, we, we understand the emotions that we possess this morning because we hate to see them go, but in the other sense of this morning, we are glad that they're going in the sense of your calling to a new place, to a new place of service and of learning, to a new place of experience that will be blessed and enriched by the gifts they will take into that new place. And oh God, we would not keep them here but we would send them with hope and with joy. And we ask your anointing upon them, your strength upon them, your wisdom for them, your provision each day for them. Keep them safe as they travel. Keep them safe as they lean into the next season of life. Build a hedge of protection around them. And we pray, God, that the anointing they receive in these moments of prayer will last and last and last. And so it is, God, we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, your covering upon them and your sending for them. We pray and ask these wonderful things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 May God bless you. May God love you. I'll let you return to your seats. Would you stand and receive the benediction, please? I know some of you are going to want to come to the front and greet them, but I'm going to ask you to hold off and greet them on the patio. Because if you come here, they'll never get to the patio. <laughs> and if you come here, they'll not to get to see you and everyone else. That makes sense? Receive this blessing from St. Patrick. May the strength of God pilot us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. And may the word of God direct us. And everyone said, amen. amen. Go in hope, my friends, go in hope. <laughs>